Dude, the gym for men is like Instagram for women. When women go on Instagram, they're like, oh, all these girls with these perfect lives and they're so skinny, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And you hear about it. But when guys go to the gym, it's like no matter how big you are, you're always looking at the guy bigger than you. There's always a bigger guy. You just hit your max. This guy's doing your max one-handed, right. grinding the whole time. And you're out here like just getting started. It's tough and it's a huge deterrent. And the funniest part is that big guy's not looking at you. Yeah. Like, oh, look at that. Pussy benching the bar. Like, no one's doing no one, that. No one cares. But it feels that way, yeah. <laughs> you know? All right. We have a very special show for you guys. Thanks so much for the support. We are here in Las Vegas for a very special guest. My next guest is a great friend of mine. And he has an amazing story of how he's kind of changed his life without him kind of realizing it. And we're going to talk a lot about fitness exercise, finance, everything about my great friend, Richard Kim, everybody. Thank you, thank you very much for having me. Very excited. Ah, absolute honor, bro. How are you? I'm good, man. We're in our, uh, we're filming this on Easter Sunday, by the way. I know um, we're like a month ahead, but shout out Jesus, and uh, we're in the most sinful city right now. Amen. Just celebrating Easter. We're, we're bringing, we're bringing some godliness to exactly. the city, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> no, oh, man, this is crazy. We're gonna talk a lot about Vegas, but we gotta talk about the pumps, bro. You're looking yeah. vascular. <laughs> Appreciate it. Can you tell from the? Tell from the shirt right yeah, here. Yeah, man, that poor the poor Youngs like spread between oh, the O and the U. Appreciate it's crazy. it. Hold on, let me get that camera B action. You know, <laughs> a little, little quick flex, but yeah, appreciate it, man. I've been I've been really trying to you know get back into shape and uh, yeah, you know, really change you know just my image. You know, it. I, I you introed it too, just uh, you know how I've been able to change my body, my identity, everything like that. And, you know, I think working out has really helped me mentally, physically, all that stuff. hundred percent. And we're, we're going to get into details. For our podcast viewers, my guy Richard here is very jacked and he used to be not very jacked. That's why you need to know. <laughs> Let's get into specifics. So you, you mentioned it. You talked about changing your identity. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, obviously you don't become a different person. You're the same guy I first met. But when you change your body, a lot of things change about yourself mentally, physically. What I really want to start with is like, what was the moment, right? What was the inspiration to say like, I really want to make this change seriously? Yeah, I mean, for me is when my pants didn't start to fit anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, back in high school, um, I ran cross country track and everything like that. So I, was, I wasn't I was jacked, but I was relatively skinny. Cause right. I think- back in fit. High, I, yeah, I'd, I'd say I was fit cause I mean, I wasn't the best at cross country. I was actually one of the worst guys on the team or whatever, but you know, that's because I'm five, five and I don't have a really good stride length or anything like that. Yeah. But, um, I was, I was fit. I was like athletic. I was lean. Um, I think back then I was like 130, something like that okay. as far as like pounds. Um, so, you know, I was, I was, you know, in decent shape and then college rolls around and uh, I didn't keep up as, as consistently. I was like, you know, trying to work out and lift and things like that. And then, uh, once you graduate, you know, things change a lot. Things so, change drastically. Yeah. Then you have to start thinking about like work. Um, you don't, you're not as active anymore because you're not walk, walking around campus, uh, you know, hanging out with friends, stuff like that. So I was pretty sedentary for a few years after college. Um, like did not lift a single weight for several years. Yeah. Um, like four or five years. How do you feel like your body changed between entering college and like kind of year one or two after college before you started, like you said, like your pants didn't fit, but like, it's like you got fat or anything. I right? mean, no, I, no I, bro, I was fat. I was, you were not fat. Okay. How, how much do you guess I weighed 
Okay, so like you said you were 130 at your smallest. Right. So I would say, I don't know, 146? You think that was my max? I don't know. <laughs> I, I was David, I was 191. No I was, fucking I was 191 at, at my heaviest, bro. When? Um, as as uh, early as last year. Like, wow. 20, like, I started lifting, uh, like, seriously and consistently again, June uh, last year. So it's wow. only been, like, 11... 10 months, 10, 11 months since I've been like back at it. Right. So, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, when Dude, I, when that's I, crazy. How much, how much of that do you think you gained post-college? Uh, yeah. A lot of, all of it. Right. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, we went, so we went to college together, so I saw you most of college, but yeah, I guess I didn't see you nearly as much in between yeah, then and like more recently. Exactly. So I guess like, yeah, most of the growth I really didn't see. Yeah. And then I, I hit it pretty well in my clothes. So I wore looser clothing back then. I, I could not pull this off um you know even last year when we could like go to vegas yeah. trips and stuff so well i mean it, yeah, it's you, totally, you totally different totally, different, totally yeah. different but but talk to me about like mentally where are you at right when you hit the scale and you're like oh man i'm like what 90 i've never been this big yeah like how are you feeling about life oh man it sucks so i mean <laughs> when you're that heavy at my height it's like you're you're pretty much you are obese for reference you are how, how tall Oh, I'm I'm five five. Right, for the short, short king. For the podcast. Short, the short, short king. king. We stand. Yeah. We stand. Five, so five. you're five five one ninety. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Um. And then it yeah it takes a toll on you mentally. Um. You, your self confidence like definitely plummets. Um. It's like, cause my waist. Um. As far as pant sizes go, back in high school, I was like a thirty waist. You know. Right. Um. And then I was getting to the point where like thirty eights weren't fitting. Wow. So I was like maybe pushing like maybe I need a forty. Eight, um, I mean, eight inches of waist is a massive. Yeah, so I, I, had a, I had a gut, and you know, I was like, like, dang, this, this is not good. I don't, I don't feel good. Yeah. I'm just like lethargic all the time. Right. So um, energy levels not great. Energy's not not good. Um, yeah, just imagine like having like you know thirty, forty extra pounds on you. Yeah, I'm um, just lugging that around, you know, on a backpack. So. No, it's terrible. And then, so you're at that point and you said one thing you mentioned is like starting lifting again. Were you ever seriously lifting, lifting before in life? Or? Yeah. Um, back in high school, um, senior year, I took a weight training class oh. as one of my, I don't know what you call it. Like, like electives? electives? Yeah, I yeah. guess. I mean, I don't know if you call it that in like high school, but um, I, I took that as a course there and I actually got a reward, uh, award for that. You know, it was kind of funny because... Um, uh, I went to awards night for my high school and then like the principal was like, you know, handing out all the, all the awards for everything and like academics and yeah. all classes and stuff. So my, my last name's Kim. So you get a lot of Kims before me and they're getting, they're getting up on stage for rewards on like, Oh, excellent in math, science. <laughs> and then, you know, I hop up on stage and then, uh, the principal's like Richard Kim for, uh, weight training. <laughs> it's like excellent weight training. And it, it was, it was, it was funny. Cause every, like the audience laughed and then I went to go shake his hand and like, he like pretended to like crumple up. Right. It was, it's kind of funny, but to get back to your question, um, yeah, there was a time like, you know, high school. And then even, you could even say like maybe into college some, you know, I was, I was like lifting, but like, not consistently. Yeah. It wasn't ever a consistent thing. No, no, it's definitely different. So you're at the point where you're like, okay, I can't be like this. I'm going to make the change. You got into it hard, dude. Was yeah. it like, did you decide to go hard from the beginning? Or once you got into it, you're like, I'm going to make this a lifestyle? Uh, I, I knew I had to make it a lifestyle for uh -huh. it to be, you know, I'd have to make it non-negotiable for me just to be able to go into the gym. Mm -hmm. And because I kind of knew what my goals were. 
um, which were at the time. I mean, obviously to slim down, but um, you know, look, feel good in my bodies, which yeah. is my general goal. Confidence. Yeah, confidence. Um, just get that back, and uh, I knew I needed to be, just be consistent, just about working out and being on point with my diet, just for me to be able to achieve that. Yeah. So yeah. So you hit it, and boom, you go hard. Right. I remember. Yep. One day you were like never working out and one day you're up, you know, five, six a.m. consistently. Yeah. And then it's weird because I don't see you for a good the first probably two, three months. Yeah. I think ironically, I feel like I've seen a lot of like the growth. <laughs> but I remember the first time I saw you on Instagram, you had posted like 12 straight days in a row or something. Yeah, just like my uh, gym progress or like week to week or I was just posting updates like that. And uh What's funny was uh, you could check my like uh, LA Fitness app yeah. and then you could check like, cause I've had it for years, but I never really used it. Mm. So you could see my daily check-ins. Uh, <laughs> so like, like September, like, uh, you know, all that, or uh, just up until May, like nothing was there. And then June happened, boom, it's just like every day, like checked in and then it's been like that ever since. No, that, and that's so crazy because what, what I really find so fascinating is, you know, for people listening and for myself, the hardest part about making the change to exercise is the beginning. Mm. When you go from being sedentary to making it like a consistent thing, how are you able to not slack off, not have so many off days? I mean, you were consistently up from kind of day one when you made the commitment. And I think that difference mentally is what really separates people who see long-term good results and people mm. who don't. Yeah, I think it's all about mindsets, the most important thing, because, yeah. you know, how many people fall off on like New Year's resolution goals? You know, they'll say, oh, I'm going back into gym, you know, um, you have to make it something you can't think of it as something short term. It's like, oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna work out for 90 days, get six pack abs. Yeah, or something it's not like a that. diet. It's, yeah, it's like you can't do it short term. It has to be not a diet, but a lifestyle. So something you can do over the long term. Um, right now I'm like on a pretty strict diet right now, but I know it's only temporary until I maybe, you know, potentially even compete or something like that. Yeah. It just depends on my goals and how I feel, but that's a change, yeah, right? Went yeah. from 191 to now you're competing. Well, we'll get to competing in a sec. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, it, the mindset's the most important thing for people. Um, as if you could, cause people make work non-negotiable you know exactly. people go into work every day do their nine to five um but no one's like making you necessarily but you have to make yourself go into the gym um so you have to make that aspect of life non-negotiable too yeah but but i think that's the hardest part right and yeah. i'm not i don't like to get into like the mindset olympics of podcasts yeah. you know where you just sit there and talk ethereally about like you have to change your mindset change your life but but i think for this specific instance it makes yeah. a lot of sense right it's like yeah your mindset is what matters but what was your mindset what was the thing that allowed you to say like this is non-negotiable because it was negotiable for yeah. you know six straight years in your life right and then it's like what was really your motivation is what i want to get to Bro, I just want girls. <laughs> Honestly, I just, I just want, I just want to look good for the birds. You know which, what I'm saying? Which is hilarious because I uh, on my list, which you can't look at. I, oh, have, yeah, I yeah. have a whole section on ladies, so let, let's get into the ladies, right? Okay. So let's let's also rewind that back, right? Sure. You've you know you've been in finance. You've always been making good money. You've mm -hmm. always been my most financially put together friend. I, I appreciate. We say that while we're in Vegas and I have two rooms and I have a gambling addiction apparently, but you know. But it's a yeah. gambling addiction you can afford to get into. It's controlled chaos. <laughs> Which, and yeah, trust me, we'll get into gambling too. But. <laughs> Appreciate you saying that though. <laughs> but 
on the important stuff, right? Mm-hmm. When you're when you're not in Vegas and you're back in Georgia, right. you know, your day-to-day finances have always made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I find is really interesting about that is women value a lot of things and men, I think looks are like seventh. I could do a whole fucking 90 minutes on that. But I do think they matter to get you in the door. Yeah. Right? And more than anything, looks for men are not for women. They're for men. Yeah. Because if other guys see you as like a put together, good looking guy, whether or not they're willing to say it, they're going to give you a different level of respect. You know, they're going to to view in a certain way and you're going to kind of get more opportunities. And when you're viewed a certain way by society with women, they're going to be more likely to give you that first chance. And then mm-hmm. the other things that really matter right. allow you to get in. So what's your confidence level with women at, you know, 185, 190 versus today? Probably night and day. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, because I'd I'd be self-conscious about like, you know, taking off my shirt, like, yeah. you know, when, when it's in like in bedroom situations, like, bro, I don't want you to see, I don't want you to see my boobs are like bigger than yours or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, dude, we've or, been at the pool the last couple of days. You've been shirtless the whole time. And before that, I'd never even seen you without your shirt. I knew you for like five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, still, I'm, I have some modicum of body dysmorphia up until this point. You know, it, I don't think it'll go away. I'll always see myself as kind of a fat kid. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that'll ever necessarily change, but you know, but I'm it's a different on. type of body dysmorphia, right? Uh, I don't know. Is I guess what I'm saying is when you were fatter, did you see yeah. yourself as too fat? No, I was, I, yeah, I would be like, bro, I'm, I'm fat. But now I'm just like, I know I'm not fat, um, like necessarily obese, like to that extent, but I feel like I could always be leaner now is the thing. Yeah. So then it's like a t- different type of body dysmorphia where, you know, you're not like fat or obese, but you, you could always think like, oh. I could be more vascular. I could be more shredded. No, you know, I, then then you get into you know some of the other stuff about like bodybuilding and stuff that that might be not so healthy. So oh yeah, no, no, I totally get it. You know, I've always been kind of the opposite. I've always been like the skinniest kid. I remember between the ages of like ten to seventeen, mm-hmm. it really messed with me because before ten, every kid's small, so it doesn't really matter. Right. And I was always tall, yeah, which helps. So that was like kind of half of it. But like between, especially around 13, 14 middle school, I was just like, I really had no amount of like pubescent body Mm -hmm. mass and I was tall. So I was just like so rail skinny that I felt terribly unconfident. Like I felt like an alien and like I would look so weird in clothes no matter Mm -hmm. what size they were. Cause I always had like, at one point I had like a 27 waist. But, Ooh, I, okay. yeah. but I was six feet tall. Right. So I, I really needed to wear like a 27, 34, mm-hmm. which just doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'll find that. In and, <laughs> and my dad had this weird, like, he hated how skinny I was. Mm-hmm. And though he wouldn't say it to me, but he would show me by buying me like large shirts. And, <laughs> okay. and consistently telling me to work out. So like, I would be dressed in these insane Billie Eilish outfits in like, you know, 2012. <laughs> when that wasn't cool. Right. And I just looked so silly, but I didn't know how to fix it. And I knew I needed to get bigger and stronger, but like I didn't really have the confidence to start. One of the hardest things about working out, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, is when you start, you're going to be small weights, dude. Mm-hmm. Especially as a dude, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, you go. I mean, you you got to start bench pressing the bar. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you you might feel like you be, you're being judged at the gym or something like that. And I, I know that's a big deterrent for a lot of people 
you know, going to the gym that might be intimidated. Yeah. But, hey, David, you're putting on some good size. Thanks. I, I see you, man. No, I, I, see you, I, I see you working it. out. Dude, I've, I've had my personal trainer now for like nine months and yeah. it's made a big difference in like really my personal confidence and mm-hmm. where I want to be. But dude, I remember when I started, it was tough because dude, the gym for men is like Instagram for women. <laughs> like when women go on Instagram, they're like, oh, all these girls with these perfect lives and they're so skinny, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And you hear about it. But when guys go to the gym, it's like no matter how big you are, you're always looking at the guy bigger than you. There's always a bigger guy. You just hit your max. This guy's doing your max one-handed, right. grinding the whole time, and you're out here like just getting started. It's tough, and it's a huge deterrent. And the funniest part is that big guy's not looking at you. Yeah. Like, oh, look, look at that pussy benching the bar. Like no one's doing no one, that. No one cares. But it feels that way, yeah. <laughs> you know? And and it's a massive deterrent. But, but back to the ladies, man. <laughs> it's so funny because – Dude, most women, they like a, a nice, decent-looking guy with a dad bod. Yeah, but they don't care about like if you're shredded. <laughs> like so all, all the vascular stuff, the veins. It's they don't. All they don't for want dudes. That. It is all for dudes. <laughs> I I completely agree. I I try to get shredded for me. Exactly. You know, I'm, that's the main thing. And then, uh, you know, going back to like comparing yourself in the gym to, uh, you know the most important thing for that is you got to compare yourself to yourself. Exactly. You just get bet, bet, better. You know, every time you're in the gym, just focus on your PRs, not the guy next to you. So mm-hmm. look at your own numbers, your right. own strength, stamina. And yeah. it's like, you know, one thing that I find really interesting to you is, so you got a new trainer, right? right Before yeah. you got the new trainer, you were in this interesting wave of, you were just like lift, lift, lift. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember I went to the gym with you a couple of times and it was just like, all about lifting and i feel like now you've gotten a much more like well-rounded like body not body image but like you're working i feel like you're doing more cardio i feel like you're watching what you eat more and you're trying to like work on your body holistically let's get a little little into the idea of like bodybuilding and kind of sculpting your body specifically Mm -hmm. because that's something i've never really done like what is it between just working out a lot and like trying to actually make specific differences in your body yeah so um shout out my coach weston um so he has been helping me a lot just in the past couple of weeks i've had him just um making sure i'm staying on track but the main difference i think uh between like i want to say like lifestyle like lifting yeah. like you, you see like average people in the gym like lifting weights and i kind of you know I, I would say like maybe they're going through the motions yeah um as opposed to kind of my programming and kind of my diet right now I don't think it's like really meant for like people who just want to look good. I think it's meant for people who want to look like look a specific way towards maybe potentially competing. Yeah. Um, so it's not for everybody, but the main difference is, um, I mean, it's a lot more regimented. Um, you know, I, I work out six days a week, hit cardio five times a week. I do like an hour in the morning. And then like 35 minutes after I lift too. So Wow. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Take me through your weekly workout routine pre-trainer, mm-hmm. your new trainer, right. and then now. Um, yeah, the like every everything's different. Like um all my coaches have all had like different philosophies and yeah. like different splits. So before um I was hitting one body part kind of as a bro split. Um, I'd hit just chest, yeah, back by chest, try type. Yeah, of vibe. just like everything separately. So I would hit, I would just annihilate chest like on Monday or something like that, and just never hit it again until next Monday. Yeah, um, and that works for some people, but I don't think it's like necessarily optimal. Um, so now that's changed into I do 
I, I'm not sure if you know, like kind of push pull legs, kind of that split. No, talk to me. Give me, so, give me yeah. Specifics. So push, um, is any pushing movement. So any like bench press, yeah, like shoulder press, like tricep, uh, things. So that's push pull is anything you have to pull. So like back movements, yeah. bicep, um, and then legs is obviously legs, but, um, I do push pull legs, uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then I hit a, on Thursday, I hit a hamstring focused leg day. Interesting. And then I go into chest and back and then shoulders and arms to round out the week. And then Sunday's my rest. Um, and then I repeat that. So that way you hit, uh, a single body part twice a week. Um, and I think that's the most optimal amount of stimulus, you know, you can put on your body for, for optimal growth. Yeah. I like that you have a rest day too. One yeah. of my, um, one of my trainers, my, not my current one, my previous one, he used to be a pro. And he mm -hmm. said he worked out every day for 25 years straight. And I was just like, dude, did you never rest? He was like, no, yeah. I worked out every single day. And I get that, but I feel like that that's really unhealthy, right? Yeah, no, bodybuilding, if, if he was a pro, and if he was like an IFBB pro, like those guys are not healthy. You know, like a lot of times if you put on that much size and you know, all of them for the most part on like some sort of anabolic steroid Have or like be. hormones, right? So it's not healthy and you know, I'm. I'm not sure if you follow like bodybuilding, like just like closely or anything like, or if you train or like talks about it, but, um, there are a lot of people nowadays just like pro bodybuilders, like collapsing, dying of heart attacks in like their forties. Wow. Um, yeah. Most recently was like Cedric McMillan. Cause you know, he had some health issues, but he was like really pushing, like working out. Just um, going past the limits. Yeah, exactly. Cause people want to see how freaky you can get up on stage. Yeah. So you push the drugs, push the food, you push the weight. It's a lot of stress on the heart. So it's, it's kind of sad, but you're trying to get into building naturally though. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to touch too much you know, hormones or anything like that. Um, you know, if I ever need to like, maybe just hop on like testosterone, like when I'm older or something like that, I might do that. But as far as like hardcore anabolics, doesn't I'm scared of needles. So that's, that's one thing, you know? <laughs> okay. And that's, and that's something I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so I live in LA. Mm -hmm. I actually specifically live in Hollywood. So I go to the, the Hollywood Boulevard LA fitness. That's my normal gym. <laughs> and when I tell you it is like the most exactly what you're thinking of Jim, mm -hmm. all the guys in there juiced out of their minds. You get like the warning signs in the bathroom about steroid use. Yup, a yeah. lot of, you know, it does a little bit of self-regulating, like no one's kind of gonna do it there, mm. but you know, right before, right after that kind of vibe. Um, and it's very interesting because it's very showy. Guys just wanna look a certain way. And I mean, the body dysmorphia is out of this world. Yeah. How much pressure do you feel as a guy who's seriously working out, trying to compete of saying, maybe I got to start doing creatine, extra protein. Like what's the limit you're willing to take it before it's like, okay, I can't do this even if it's going to give me the results that I want to see. Yeah. I mean, creatine, I'll say, uh, creatine and protein is, you know, safe for everybody yeah. for, for the most part. Um, creatine is like one of the most researched supplements out there. And then protein is just an easy way to get, you know, you know daily macro nutrient and, you know, get your protein count in. But, um, as far as just on top of that extra, um, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, it just kind of, I, I just personally want to push myself as far as I can naturally, um, see how much bigger or leaner I can get. Um, just kind of, um, you know, doing it consistently for a couple of years. Cause I'm, I'm not even a year in technically. That's the crazy part. You're what, nine months? Yeah. Something, um, nine, 10 months. Um, so 
yeah, I, I want to do it naturally first for a couple of years. And then if I, you know, still feel like I could be better or if I wanted to like compete harder or something like that, I'm, you know, who, who's to say like, I don't hop on like testosterone or like some, right. some sort of anabolic, but again, my, uh, fear of needles really <laughs> prevents me from doing that. So <laughs> I might just never, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just all depends, I guess. I just have to see, look out and see, you know, it's just kind of in the next few years, how I'm looking, how I'm feeling. Yeah. But yeah. the goal, goal right now is to stay natural, do everything naturally. Good. Well, we'll have to check in next time you're on the show. You know, what, what's so interesting, last thing on the bodybuilding I want to specify yeah. is I feel like there's a very interesting correlation between Asian guy stereotypes and bodybuilding mm. because, you know, and you know this more than me, Asian guys very much get kind of blocked into kind of you're saying like, oh, they're going to get awards for like, you know, math and science, STEM stuff. You know, they're more known for like their brains over their bodies. Sure. You know, how many... Asian superheroes are there. Yeah. No, it's just not a lot, right? And they kind of get boxed in. Do you feel like that was happening to you? Do you feel like people see you differently now, like as an Asian guy? Yeah, I think as an Asian guy, yeah. people like, I mean, I'd walk around. Uh, there was one time I was walking around at the mall somewhere and then someone like just like pointed at me. It's like, bro, that's the jack, most jacked Asian guy I've ever seen. And like, <laughs> they weren't, they weren't like, they were just, they weren't saying it to me. They were saying it to their friends. So yeah. I was like, I, they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's a little weird to say, you know, it's like, you you could be jacked in Asian. There are a lot of jacked Asian guys around. There are plenty. You know? Yeah, there are plenty around, but it's just the stereotype of like, oh, the nerdy Asian guy, you know, he, he doesn't doesn't even look like he lives. So I don't know, it's kind of hard to break that mold, but um, I think for me, it, people perceive me differently. You know, they, they might just first look at me without like, not seeing my body or anything like that. Yeah. And if I'm wearing baggy clothes, they might be like, oh, this guy's just, you know, he's probably good at math. I'm, I'm really bad at math. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 use, I use my numbers to add still. Um, I was like calculating tip yesterday for dinner. I was like, bro, how much is this? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have to do this mental gymnastics in my head. So yeah, that stereotype doesn't apply to me. But um, you know, I guess I'm trying to break that mold. You know, just, yeah. just trying to break that stereotype. No, I think it's funny because, you know, it's like if I was like as jacked as you, <laughs> people would never be like, oh, look at that super jacked black guy. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, people are much more likely to be like, oh, look at that not jacked black guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and I think it's interesting. It, it kind of separates you as a person, which mm -hmm. I think is really interesting. And it almost allows, uh, one thing that I feel is really bad about Asian guys is I feel like, especially in America, they're only really allowed to fit certain roles unless you kind of push it into yourself mm -hmm. being like, Oh, well he looks different. So maybe he has these other different qualities as well that you wouldn't assume, which I think is really interesting. The next thing I got to talk to you about, because this is something that everyone just knows about you. Who's your mm -hmm. friend. But I think we haven't explored why. Okay. Where are we right now? We're in Vegas. Did you pay for this room? I did pay for this room. Actually. Did you pay for the other room? I did not pay for the other. Room. Why did you not pay for the other room? Uh, cause I, <laughs> cause I frequent Vegas quite often and you can get comps. So I do get plenty of comps when I go to Vegas, come in town because I'm a degenerate gambler. <laughs> and I appreciate the openness. You are 27, right? Uh, yes. I, how old am I? 27? Am I 28? Bro, how old am I? You haven't had your birthday this year, right? No, I guess not. So you're 27. So 27. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm also 27. How old am I? <laughs> well, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we're the same age, right? Yeah. But the reason I say is. You gamble more than any 27-year-old I know. You think so? No, I, I know. I, oh, I don't I mean, think I mean, so. Yeah, I know. I, mean, I know for a fact. Know. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right, but maybe not in the world, but yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, 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 not yeah. in the world, but I'm saying when you 
this is just not something that was a big part of your life the whole time I knew you in college. All right. And then, you know, about two years ago, maybe even earlier, like you kind of got into this thing of starting to go to Vegas and we've been going more. Mm. I want to talk a lot about Vegas as a concept and gambling as a concept. Right. Like, where did this start, man? This is just not something I knew about you that you would like to gamble until we went to Vegas the first time. And now it's like one of the most defining features about you. Yeah. Uh, just the disclaimer for the pod and everyone listening, do not gamble. It's not good for you. Um, I do it recreationally and because I have some disposable income to be able to do so. Um, but yeah, as far as where it all started, I guess my first trip out to Vegas was, you know, maybe 2019. Okay. You were um, what age? How old was I? 24? Four? Sure. 25? Sure. Right. So right like after that. college. Yeah, something like that. Um, and one of my coworkers, um, you know, he was a big Vegas guy too. And he was the one who like really put me on. Um, he told me about the Cosmo, how it was the best, ho- his favorite hotel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to book my hotel there and see how it's like. And then, because, um, you know, I, I planned that trip out to Vegas because I'd never been. So it was kind of a solo trip for me my first time. Um, so when I flew out to Vegas, I just wanted to check it out, do some sightseeing. And yeah. then I felt like the first couple of years out of college, I was so busy with work, everything like that. I just never had time to vacation or just kind of travel. Um, so I really took the time when I had the chance, when I was making some more decent money just to be able to, you know, travel some more and yeah. do what I wanted to do. So I came out to Vegas, uh, booked the Cosmopolitan and fell in love with it. So I think it's one of the best properties on the strip. And then I was like, yeah, I could do. I could dig these rooms. I could dig these vibes. I like the vibes. You know, you could see the paintings and statues. Yeah, and no, all. the setup's fantastic. Yeah, great room we have, and then you know, I just fell in love with the vibe. And then, as far as the gambling concern, they kind of go hand in hand. You're yeah, in Vegas, you have to try. And I remember my first bets. I was so nervous because I, I was like looking up YouTube videos, like yeah. how do you play? What um, was the first game you played? Do you remember? Um. I think it was I think it was roulette because it was I think it's the easiest. But then that trip, I remember playing craps, um, and I was watching a lot of craps videos, and um, I was like, okay, I'm gonna give it a try. I was looking at an empty table, like middle of the day, and no one else was there. So I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna just hop on this table real quick. And, yeah. You know, craps. Um, I think is a pretty intimidating game for a lot of folks because there's a lot going on. But yeah. once you break it down, it's pretty simple. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna just apply what I learned on uh, YouTube and you know, see how well I can do. And it was like really tiny bets. Yeah. Tell yeah. Talk to me about your first, what was your bankroll for your first trip? I think it was like a couple hundred dollars, a couple know? hundred bucks, yeah, right? like 300, 400, something like that. Right. And how much are you betting on like your first couple of sets? Right. You, you get in there in the craps table. What, what, what kind the of minimum, minimum whatever the minimum was 15, yeah. 20, 25. Yeah. I was just putting it down there. And then, um, that first trip, uh, I actually ended up making some money. Um, I think I was up like, uh, I want to say like two thousand uh, dollars. That's how they on, get you, man. Just on the crafts, and then I was like, I could. It's like, why? Why don't people do this more often? Tell me, <laughs> tell me about that feeling, right? So you go first time, yeah. You put a couple, three, four hundred bucks, and you slit there, and you're like, I'm up two grand, right? How does that feel? I mean, how? Yeah, I mean, it feels great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you think about it, it's like, wait, I got it. I got to, you got calculated, be like, I have to work two whole weeks to yep. get like this amount of money again. So, but I just made it here in like less than like an hour. While on vacation. While on vacation. Right. And then you, while you're getting free comps and free rooms. So I think that's the allure of Vegas. And that's how you like get really suckered in, I guess. Uh, don't be a sucker <laughs> like me. But um, now I just come here. You know, I haven't even gambled on this trip. No, I you haven't. About it. Yeah, I, I did like one slot at um, 
cold nugget like yesterday, but that was about it. And then um, now I'm just here vibing. See, you know, there's great food. Um, the shows are great. There's like really good atmosphere. So I think that's another big part of Vegas that I really enjoy. Um, is just the entertainment aspect of yeah. it. There's always, there's something for everybody here. And you know, there's Dragon's Lair, my favorite gym. Yep. Um, I always go there. Um, it's just a really nice city. No, it, it's so fascinating. Vegas has taught me a lot about life in general. Mm -hmm. I think over the past year and a half that I've been going a lot with you and with Aaron and stuff, I've really started to understand my parents. Okay. Right, because I remember being a kid mm -hmm. and we'd go on vacation and we go to like, you know, Pensacola or some like little beach in Florida, you know, family friendly. And I'd basically be like, mom, dad, what are we doing? And they would basically be like, nothing. That's <laughs> the point. And I couldn't process that as a kid mm -hmm. because your life isn't full of the responsibilities that you have as an adult. Like when you're an adult, life is a chore list. Mm -hmm. You always have to do work or laundry or cook or clean or blah, 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 or your taxes. There are a million things to do. And you truly understand like rest and time off and yeah. you value it at such a higher level that you can't as a child because you're just not busy enough to appreciate it. And coming to Vegas, I've really learned R&R, &R, mm -hmm. like how amazing it is to relax. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. go to the pool. Uh, get a spa treatment, yeah. get a massage, anything like that. It, it gives you this couple of days of living a luxury lifestyle. It's yeah. like you get just enough taste to hold you over to the next one. Exactly. You know, and it's funny because even if you have a lot of money, let's say you have 10 million bucks, mm -hmm. but you live in Kansas, there's almost only so much fun you can have in Kansas. Mm -hmm. You could have the biggest house, you know, you can go to the best bars, any of that stuff, but. I would much rather take a week really living it up in Vegas right. than just having money in like, you know, Missouri all the time. You know, no shade against all my Missouri listeners, but you see the point I'm trying to make. It's it's really, really fascinating. And one thing I've really learned to love about gambling, see, I don't really gamble for the money. Mm -hmm. I don't really gamble to try to say like, oh, well, I'm going to put in 100, I want to get out 150. If that happens, that's cool. I look at gambling as a real metaphor for life. And I've never really gambled until I went to Vegas. Mm -hmm. And it makes you understand certain principles. The way you win at gambling is, there's only really one way to win at gambling. Because all games in Vegas are negative EV. Mm -hmm. You play long enough, you will lose. Right. Right? You can go to a slot, jackpot the first one, be up 10x. You play long enough, you will lose every last dollar. That's just how it works. And... But the only way you're going to get to that point is you have to be able to take bigger risk. Mm -hmm. And gambling allows you to understand risk management in a really fascinating way, in a very kind of centered way with right. low risk, right? So you know, I put in 100, the max I can lose is 100. Is 100. Right. Yeah. But the max I can gain is basically infinite. And understanding if I'm, if I'm betting you know, 10 bucks a hand, knowing the right moment to go all in, mm -hmm. that's gonna allow you to get that gain. And then having the self-control to say, I've accomplished my Dude, goal, I gotta, I gotta get out. out. You right? gotta know when to hold them, you gotta know when to fold them. Just fascinating metaphors for life that I think are so important because especially in the current world, we don't take enough risk in life. Yeah, you know, I know so many of my friends like when I graduated high school and I was like, I'm moving out to LA, mm -hmm. you know, I was in, 
Conyers, right. you know, and then I went to Georgia and even in Georgia, people were like, okay, we'll see the day after I graduated, I moved. Right. I had, I think $3,200 to be exact mm-hmm. that I had just saved up from working uh, at the restaurant the last few years. And I knew it was a risk, but I also knew that this is the time in life to take them. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather take the risk and fail than now when I was younger than when you get older. Because much like with gambling, when you're only betting 100 bucks, you can only lose 100. When you're betting 10,000, mm-hmm. you can really get messed up. And in life, when you take risk when you're young, especially if you still have the support of your family of any kind or even yeah, your you, friends. You can make that up. You can make, what, yeah. What's the worst that's gonna happen, right? Like, you'll lose 100 bucks. You'll lose 100 bucks, you'll be broke. But there's a point in life that people get to now, especially mm-hmm. a lot of our friends, I and mean, we have married friends now. You know, We have friends with kids. You can't take those kind of risks. You've you've yeah. missed your chance. Yeah. Because if you know, right now, even you know, I have a fiance. We're not married, but it's still like we live together. We have a life together. If I were to screw things up, that's going to affect more people. Right. But once you're 32 and you have you know two kids and a wife or whatever, yeah, a mortgage, you got and bills. a mortgage, yeah. like you can lose everything. Yeah. And and I think Vegas is a great way to understand that. Like you have to understand risk and you have to take them. Like. If you're hearing this, all I can suggest to you is if you're at a point in life where you can sit there and ask yourself, if I lost everything Mm -hmm. I have tomorrow, how bad would that be? If the answer is not so bad, you're not taking enough risk. Go take more risk today as long as you can because that's the only way you win big, right? Like no one's ever hit jackpot not betting. Yeah, you you gotta hit that first (laughs) button. You gotta gotta press it and then yeah, that's true. That's that's a pretty good metaphor for everything, actually. Yeah. I mean, how many people we do we know just, like, who gave up on their dreams because, you know, like, maybe even our parents or anything like that is like, oh, I had dreams to be like this yeah. or this, but life just gets in the way sometimes. So if you're young, just take the risk. No, 100%. And, and, and you have to. I really want to talk to you about your goals, though. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk a lot about life in the moment, and mm-hmm. obviously, clearly you have goals, like, physically, but, like... You know, you've you've had the same job for what a year and a half now. Uh, it's two, I had my two years uh, a couple months ago, so it's two years in the same company. Yeah, two years, good corporate role. Like, where do you see yourself? You know, five years from now, thirty-two. What's like the dream? Oh man, there's no set dream like financial target or anything like that necessarily sure. for me. But um, the most I can say about that is probably I just want to be happy. You yeah, know, really. Ha- satisfied with what I've been able to achieve, accomplish, um, just working towards that goal. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how that looks necessarily. Yeah. I don't have a necessarily uh, real picture, perfect, clear vision of what that looks like down the line at me at 32. Um, I just hope I could be, you know, happy with where I am. Uh, I could be in a place where I could be genuine people and then also have a good time with everybody too. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'll definitely still, you know, want to be able to just travel like do things that I want to do at that moment. Um, even now, like things are just kind of like, if I want to go do something, I'll do it. You know, yeah. I like, I'll go to Vegas. Sure. Why That's not? amazing. I'll travel. I'll, I'll workation. Sure. You know, I, I'll, I'll take those risks, like you said. So, um, I hope I can continue to do the same when I'm 32 and older. You know, and, and you say that in a very simple way, but I think it speaks to something that I try to tell people, mm-hmm. which is, for 99% of people, life is not really about being like rich and <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Can't clip that. Um, for 99% of people in life, 
it's really not about being rich and famous. Mm -hmm. Like your goal is for me, or I think for most people, is to get to a point in life where you're happy with your day to day. Yeah. Right. You know, it's one thing to be able to take a great vacation like this. This is awesome. But this is, you know, one day out of your month most of the time. Mm -hmm. Like if you average it out, getting to the place where you like what you do for a living, you're happy with the amount of money you make and you have time to live your life is an incredibly important goal. Yeah. And I think kind of the way culture works today is it's like people look at that as like not enough. Yeah, you know, you always have to be like a millionaire by the time you're 30 exactly. or something like that. You have to have the Sigma grind set or whatever. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with working a nine to five. There's nothing wrong with just living comfortably. There's nothing wrong with like, there's nothing, there's not even anything wrong with being broke. Yeah. You, know, you could be broke and, but happy. If you're happy. Yeah. It's like all about the happiness and, you know, just understanding that you could be satisfied with any situation, you know. Even if you're rich, you know, you could be miserable. In many ways, I like to call my podcast the anti-podcast podcast podcast Mm -hmm. because on so many podcasts, which I truly enjoy, it's all about how can I bring like the richest, most famous person and have them tell you how to also be the most rich and most famous person, which is cool, you know, and, and there's definitely value in that. But I think it does. It's like Instagram. It undermines the idea that like. It's okay to be happy where you are in life yeah. <laughs> and, and have your own timeline that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the Nobel Peace Prize at 31. Right. And I, I think a lot of that pressure comes from like, I know for me, like being in an Asian household or whatever, there's yeah. a lot of pressure to be like, oh, you got to be a doctor. You got to be rich. You know, a lot of, you got to, you got to take care of your family. You got to, you got to do all these things. You have high expectations, I think, um, in any household, but I think Asian parents particularly like put like to put a lot of emphasis emphasis on finances and just being able to make a lot of money so that you know I don't know in a weird way brag about it about you know to other relatives like oh my my son's a doctor like my son's yeah. a millionaire or whatever um, I, I I just really think that's not a really healthy mindset I did want to just talk about um, you know everything everywhere all at once um, yeah so I think that's a great movie just kind of represent expectations in an Asian household. Um, great movie, ten out of ten. By the way, right? That's um, such a okay. Oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this. Yeah. I love that. That's how you started it because mm-hmm. for people who haven't seen it, it's a great movie, but it has a lot of themes. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea that you personally relate to the theme of the expectations in the Asian household. Yeah, give me some more about that. How you felt about that in general, and then how it relates to the movie. Yeah, I mean, I mean, growing up for me, um, you know, it's always it's always funny because I I feel like my family's unique but also not unique in a sense um because okay. my, my parents are divorced both uh, korean both korean yep. my mom actually just lives in korea now yeah um so and i felt like growing up we just never really had like necessarily a close family dynamic like i felt like i could never you know be that close to with my mom or my dad or anything like that just you and your sister hannah right exactly so me and my sister are pretty close shout but shout out hannah shout out hannah but um i think we we're pretty similar in that view. Um, but the movie, um, you know, if you haven't seen it, spoiler warning, I guess a little bit, but, um, the, the family dynamic in that movie is, um, is, is something that a lot of Asian families go through, including mine. Yeah. It's having a broken sort of household with high expectations. So like the daughter joy, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, she's gay in that movie, but, um, you know, you can't, that's, that's taboo. You can't be that way. Uh, she gets tattoos. It's like, no, you can't have tattoos. You gotta be rich. You gotta study. You gotta work on your grades. 
Um, and so I think that that really speaks to me because, you know, growing up, you always have like that kind of not close parent. You, you feel like you can't talk to your mom about certain things. It's mm. like you'll be judged for that. It's like you're getting fat. It's like, you know, you, you get those comments. Yeah, you know, those that's are real, crazy. Those cause... are real comments. But I know it's like their way of saying like, I love you or something in a weird, sick way. But um, I'd rather just like have them say I love you a couple of times. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Um Okay. Okay. Yeah. You be real with me, right? Like yeah. growing up, how how common was an "I love you" from your family? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I I could probably count the number of times my dad said it. I don't think he's ever said that. Wow. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I don't think he's ever said "I love you, son." You wow. know. But you know he does. I know he does. Yeah. And huh. in, in his own weird way, you know, he like will go to dinner, but he won't ever explicitly say "I love you." And I think that's something a lot of Asian parents can like try to do more um with their kids it's like i think it's really helpful for them to be able to talk about them with certain things like that and just say i love you you know yeah so it's so funny because i think and you know this is pure conjecture because it's just from talking to my friends with asian parents i feel like asian parents even when you're successful it seems like it's never enough right <laughs> you can always be better you could be like you could be like a successful doctor or whatever and like live in like this really fancy house and be like oh you're doing so well for yourself you know, do you have a do you have a girlfriend yet? Yeah. It's like it's like when are you getting when are you dating? It's like when are you getting married? It's like you could lose you could stand to lose a couple pounds, you know? You could you could be slimmer. Like you could always be better. It's like they're never like I'm proud. Oh, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> keep doing exactly what you're exactly. doing. Exactly. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's like I'm so happy that you're happy. I don't think like many Asian parents really say that. And that but that's just me personally, just speaking from my experience. See, I, I think, don't even so. think it's personal, man. This is yeah, what all of my that's, Asian that's, friends that's, tell that, me. Yeah. <laughs> I, like that's why I said my family's unique, but also not unique. Cause I think like, you know, we think like our we think our family's like weird or unique or anything like that, but yeah. then you talk to like other uh, family dynamics too. It's like, oh, we're pretty similar. Yeah, you know, and then you see like the movie, and you're yeah, like, oh, I, I can totally relate. Get that's that. why it's relatable. You know, uh, that that's why it's relatable, uh, relatable for a lot of Asian families for that movie. So that's so interesting. And and so so how does that affect you, right? Like, so you're obviously so well, how does generations work? So you're second generation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So your kids will be third generation. First off, do you see yourself marrying an Asian girl? Do you see yourself getting married first off? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I'd like to. It just, um, if it's in it's in the hard cards, sure, right, I'll okay. get married. Yeah. Well, I just, um, on the last episode, I had Amanda on, chat to Amanda, and both of her parents have been divorced twice. So yeah. she's like very pro-divorce. <laughs> like, so she sees herself getting married, so certainly, but probably also pro, getting divorced. Right. It's like, <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get married for like the tax write-offs or like the joint filing and stuff, but then I'll get divorced. Yeah, so I guess I just wondered if that like affected like your uh, perception of marriage at all. It does a little. Um, you know, I feel like people will oftentimes like hop into like relationships too without, fast. Like, too fast. Because I think my dad like took my mom out on one date in Korea, and then like, oh, we're we're moving you to America. Okay, but but is that standard practice over there? Like, no. Okay, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, it could be. I don't know. Um, I I don't really. I'm not really in tune with my Korean side of myself. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty, uh, you're emphasis, pretty, you're pretty em American. <laughs> emphasis on the American on Korean American. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but, um, even, even then, even if it's normal practice, it's still a little weird. I mean, no one's happy in that situation. Certainly. Um, yeah. And people just stick around in like dying marriages for like their kids or whatever, but you know, you know, they're, not really happy. Right. Do you, do you ever see yourself being like, do you think you could make it work with the not Asian girl? Do you think your parents would like 
judge you or do you like not care? Uh, I know my dad for sure wants me to marry a nice Korean girl. Of course. I don't think my mom necessarily cares anymore. Um, she did, I think, for a while, because um, I think there was a lot of outside pressures affecting that, too. It's like um, a lot of not my immediate family, I don't think cares too much, but like besides my dad, but like um, like outside of that, maybe aunts, uncles, sure. things like that. Be like, I was like, who's who's Richard marrying? Is like, is she is she Korean? <laughs> give, like, give me the hierarchy of, of preferred race by your family. So obviously Koreans won. Kore- like Korean, like yeah. If Korean was a race, yeah, then yeah, Koreans well, and then Asians sure. generally. Yeah, and then <laughs> but um, even within Asians, right? So we got Korean. Would they prefer like their tears? Yeah, Asian give me the tears. tears. <laughs> oh, uh, it'd probably be like Korean Chinese. Okay. Uh, like any Southeast Asian country then would be like, I don't know where to put Japan. And I was going to say, including Japanese? No, I feel like, like there's a stigma no, the, there. No, but it's similar, but there's a lot of racism in, yeah. uh, towards Japanese people, so I'm not even sure. They might be um, lower. They list. might actually be lower than just like Southeast Asian or, or Vietnamese or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but still within that first like sure. S tier, <laughs> if you want to call so, like, it that. Double S tier is Korean. Double S tier Korean, S tier just general asian yeah um and then probably bottom of s tiers right (laughs) then it goes to like white and then like hispanic and then like black like it it just works out that way that's the way it is crazy that is that's so fascinating yeah because it's so funny because that's one of those things that everyone kind of knows but it's it's different to hear it from someone who's like yeah you know if that came home my parents you know where you'd have the most issues with the other parts of your family yeah but i respect you from that i think you know, when you talk to people your age, especially Asian people, that's going to change over a few generations. Like, I can't imagine how different your kids' lives are going to be yeah. versus yours. And then, I mean, they wouldn't even be able to relate to your parents. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd still like for them to be able to keep some of their Asian heritage. You going to speak Korean at the house? Bro, I, I don't even speak Korean I, like I've that. seen you speak Korean like twice ever. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really bad. Um, don't put me on the spot like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll probably put them in like Korean classes. Korean classes. Yeah, gotcha. you know, they don't have to like use it if they don't want to or if they don't want to speak Korean at all. That's totally fine. It's up to them. But I'd like to introduce some of that cultural cultural aspect to them, I think, if I even have kids. But, yeah. You know. You'll have kids. Oh, we'll see. One way we'll, or another. We'll, we'll see. What? <laughs> no, don't, don't put that energy out there, man. I don't know, man. You say you're in Vegas long enough, you might get trapped. Nah, bro. Nah, mm. I'll be good. That's good, man. Yeah, man. This has been great. You know, I, I just feel like I really appreciate having you on. First off, you're my first Patreon. That means oh yeah, no oh, yeah. So oh, hold on. Uh, let me plug that real quick. Uh, shout out uh, David, and uh, you know, go remember sub- like, comment, subscribe, and uh, go to his Patreon for maximal support. I'm his number one, but you could be number two or number three. Right. right. Yeah. You know, you can still was, be was, top five. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but all I can say, I've bragging rights to that. Be like, I'm I'm number one patron. No. No matter how big or small the show gets, you'll have yeah, always I'll be, been I'll be the, number the first one financial support. Exactly. There's a big difference between like. Honestly, I appreciate everyone who just watches, like, my friends. Yeah. Because everyone's always so supportive. But I know they don't have to be. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. dumb. But I also get – there's a very big difference to, like, say, like, oh, I'll actually, like, put the money behind it. And that that means something to me, you know? It's yeah. like, you know, we've we've been going on dinners and stuff forever. But, you know, to say, like, hey, I want to actually support your thing you're doing. Yeah. It means a lot to me, man. I, I, I personally I, thank you for that. Yeah, no, I – yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on and – um you know, just, I think this podcast is going to be super successful. Um, I, it's a really good concept, I think. And just like the anti podcast podcast, right. you know, just normal people just, you know, 
talking about them, just having normal conversations. Yeah, and everyone's got really a perspective, good. man. Like yeah. this stuff, you know, just talking to you about, you know, Vegas and working out, mm -hmm. it's great because it's almost less intimidating and it feels more realistic, right? Because you're not, you're a big dude, but you're not the biggest dude yeah. ever, you know? I don't think I want to be either, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. And most people don't want to be. Most mm. people, I want to show people that most goals are attainable, you know, and give them like actionable ways to get there. And I personally just love, you know, talking to you, but really talking to everyone I have on and just gaining perspective. I think it makes me a smarter, more rounded, well-rounded person. Yeah. And, and I enjoy every moment of it, man. So I, I'm glad we made this happen. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Of course, man. Been a pleasure. That's another one in the books. Thank you so much for watching and make sure you check out Hitch if you're in LA. We got a bunch of good stuff coming on. We'll see you in the next one. Thank you, my guy. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Rose Radio Show. We really appreciate it. If you like what you saw, you can check out any of our other videos right here. And if you want to support us further, you can go on our Patreon, which is linked in the description below, and support us more and get exclusive content and access. Thank you so much.